60,000 is brought to you in part by RP Funding. RP Funding Inc. is licensed and can offer loans in Alabama, Arkansas, Florida, Kentucky, Louisiana, North Carolina, Ohio, Oklahoma, South Carolina, Tennessee, Texas, Virginia, and West Virginia, and is also licensed by the Mississippi Department of Banking and Consumer Finance and by the Pennsylvania Department of Banking and Securities. Office is located at 500 Wonderly Place, Suite 300, Maitland, Florida, 32751. Telephone 321-397-4420. RP Funding's nationwide mortgage licensing system ID number is 70168, and Robert Palmer's NMLS ID number is 76197. We're saving thousands with Robert Palmer right here on the Saving Thousands Radio Network. If you're brand new to the show, maybe you don't know what this is all about. Well, Robert Palmer is the empowering voice that you've been waiting for. Comes to the radio each and every day, hopefully every day in your market, maybe just one day. But the whole deal, the whole purpose of the program is to empower you. Robert Palmer comes on the radio to equip you with the tools to better handle the good, the bad, and yes, the ugly of everyday finance, credit cards, bank loans, savings, putting your money to work for you, and much, much more. You see, the biggest problem here is most of us have very little knowledge when it comes to money. I think almost everything I've learned in my adult life about money has come from Robert Palmer. Because, you know, let's look back a little bit. We went to grade school, middle school, junior high, whatever you called it, high school. Many of us went on to college. Many went to advanced degrees. Where in all of that was there a class about our money? I mean, we studied world economics. We studied theory. You know, we did all that. But there was never a course about you get the paycheck on Friday. And for some reason, by the next Wednesday or Thursday, it's disappeared. Where did it go? Well, that's because we're not in charge of our money. That's because we were never taught what to do with that very valuable commodity. I just don't know. We took a driver's test. Got to drive the car. We never took a test on what to do with our money. So that's why we're here. And we've got a great show coming up with everyday advice. These are things that enter into your life every day. Like Robert, let's start off the show by talking about the craziness of these student loans. It's getting out of hand. Yeah, this uh, this student loan thing this is, is crazy. Just, uh, so we let me. I still give a little background, but uh, what what excited me is the Department of Education uh, came out with what hopefully will be some uh, some relief. Uh, it's been coming. Uh, we're going to talk about what I think kind of created the student loan bubble because it, it, the way I look at it, it's an almost exact replica of the uh, of the mortgage bubble, and and it looks like some of the uh, same defenses that people were able to use who had problems with their mortgages may come into line with student loans. So. Before we get into this possible relief, which could mean some people's student loans actually being wiped away, oh. uh, which would be pretty awesome, right, Rob? I mean, that would be major. again depending on the circumstances, and that's what we're going to talk about. So first, let me let me kind of run through the parallels of of student loans and subprime mortgages, right? So everybody's aware of the <laughs> the the disaster created by subprime mortgages and the housing crisis and everything else. And uh, what I will tell you is uh, I know from from experience, from people I personally knew who were in the mortgage business, a lot of folks who used to sell subprime mortgages uh, made the transition to for-profit colleges selling people student loans. Uh, after the uh, financial meltdown happened and they couldn't make the fast money in the mortgage business anymore. And, and so you had a lot of these same despicable tactics that were being used in the mortgage industry back in the heyday and the subprime days that were trapping borrowers in toxic mortgages. All those folks took those honed skills of deception and went over to work for for-profit colleges. Mm-hmm. And, and one of these big for-profit colleges, Corinthian, uh, you know, blew up. Right, Rob, did you hear about this? Yeah, I did. And I can remember, Robert, if you want to go back six years, you did an entire hour program on the early network days when we were together on the fact that a lot of these so-called colleges would bait and switch you by saying, we're going to give you a brand new computer. We're going to get you a laptop that's unbelievable. And all you have to do is sign up for this college. But the college wasn't much. Absolutely. It it was crazy. You know, I talked about this and apparently no one listened. You know, no one at the Department of Education listened to me six years ago when I was ranting and raving on the radio about how this was going to be the next bubble. And I could see that the same practices that had been used in mortgages were now being used in student loans and and, and the writing was on the wall. And so Corinthian, uh, you know, which owned Everest and a bunch of other colleges, uh, you know, they they got popped because they were falsifying their placement uh, numbers. You know, what percentage of people were landing jobs? Uh, in one particular example, there was a graduate who went to work at Taco Bell, and they counted that as a successfully placed job tied to the student's training. Uh, you know, I mean, this is this is the type of stuff that was discovered. And, and so what happened is because the Department of Education uh, did not listen to me six years ago, uh, Corinthian gave out $3.5 billion worth of student loans 
over the last five years. Billion. Okay. Billion. $3.5 billion. So you have a for-profit college who was lying about placement rates and lying about the benefits of going to their school, using all of these old subprime mortgage techniques, you know, all these guys who honed their skills, taking advantage of people with toxic mortgages, all went to work selling now student loans at for-profit colleges, and they racked up $3.5 billion, okay? Now, let me tell you, there is no house to foreclose on, uh, and most of these people ended up with not much of an education, uh, according to reports now coming out. Uh, so that three and a half billion bucks is, is pretty much wasted, and it all went into Corinthians' pockets so they could get rich. You know, one of the things I pointed out uh, when I, I talked about this years ago, Rob, is that the president of a, a for-profit college was making like ten times the salary of the president of Harvard, right? Because <laughs> they're they're just they were making that much money. They were taking such advantage of students. So here's what's going on now, and I think this is intriguing. And so I'm actually going to assemble all of my attorneys, and we're going to have a conversation about this. So apparently there is a phrase, there is a clause in the promissory note of a student loan. And, and I don't have one of these. I would like to get my hands on one. Uh, if any of our listeners maybe have a student loan promissory note that they wouldn't mind sending to me, you can cross out personal information or whatever. But what I'm looking for uh, is, according to some research I did, there is a, a phrase that says, uh, in some cases, you may assert as a defense against collection of your loan, that the school did something wrong. Now, that doesn't seem like, it's in quotes where I found it in the article, but that doesn't sound like normal legalese to me, so I'm guessing that's not exactly what it says on the, the note, the, the promissory note. But the idea here is that if your school broke the law, if your school committed fraud, if your school deceived you, you may be able to sue and have your student loan discharged. Okay, Rob? So what the what brought this to light is that the the Department of Education has come out and they've identified around forty thousand people who they feel uh, fit this criteria who mm. were Corinthian students and they're going to get five hundred forty four million dollars worth of student loans forgiven to this group. Now remember, Corinthian had a total of three point five billion. So the the initial forty thousand I think is the kind of final round of students, the most recent round of students. Uh, but there's a lot of pressure right now on the uh, Department of Education to do something for everyone. Now, the downside to this is, Rob, where's that three and a half billion dollars going to come from? It's going to come from the taxpayer. You bet. You know, so because, uh, you know, Department of Education screwed up and didn't monitor these guys and let them rack up three and a half billion dollars worth of federally insured student loans, uh, then one are now defaulting like crazy. And two now have this potential clause that the students can fight back and possibly have the student loans discharged. Uh, that's going to be a three and a half billion dollar problem for the taxpayers. So, uh, I, but I think I think uh, better on the taxpayers than on these individual students, right? I mean, right. you know, we, we spread it across the entire country. We all take a little pain because our government screwed up on this one. Uh, it's better than the the students right now whose lives, you know, are potentially in shambles because of these toxic student loans they receive from these toxic for profit colleges uh, without getting good education. Now, I'm sure there may be some good for profit colleges out there. I'm not talking about the whole group. But I'm talking about the players like this particular one who are lying about placement rates and lying about job success rates. And so I'm going to assemble my team of attorneys. Uh, and, and on my own dime here, Rob, I am going to figure out uh, if there's if there's some other kind of relief here. You know, do we have to sit back and wait for the Department of Education to do something about this? Or can students band together with the help of some great attorneys? And I know some great attorneys uh, and go ahead and fight back now using this supposed clause that's in the promissory note. Uh, which, again, if someone has one, I would love for you to send it to me at askrp at rpfunding.com. I would love to take a look at that. Uh, so when I meet with the attorneys, uh, we can figure this out. But th this is my this is this is a new mission for me, Rob. You know, this is uh, a lot of people are negatively affected by this. I talked about this on my TV show years ago. I talked about this on the radio show years ago. It fell on deaf ears. Three point five billion dollars in loans with a college who has been closed down for fraud and deceptive practices. I would think all of those people should be able to get their loans discharged. You know, and what about all the people who made the payments, right? I mean, they, yeah. are they, they're not entitled to any relief, I don't think. I mean, just because you discharge the debt doesn't mean you can go back and get your money back. Uh, bottom line is this is a huge problem. When you look at uh, economic graphs that show the, the increase in student loan debt, the spike that came in student loan debt, it almost perfectly mirrors the type of percentage increases we saw in mortgage leading up to the crash, leading up to the bubble. Hmm. And again, the same deceptive practices being used, Rob, uh, you know, the, the same types of, of sales techniques that one of the 
one of the studies they did on a for-profit college, you know, quoted that they were using a sales technique called the pain cycle. Uh, you know, I mean, just all all of these different things they built uh, to basically scare people or, or, or fear people into signing up for these student loans and 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 getting these for-profit educations, which they didn't really care if you graduated or not. They were going to falsify the placement and success rate records and and go on with life and keep milking this federal student loan. Because the, the crazy thing is, even if someone dropped out after, there, there's a time limit. It's not very long. Something like 10 weeks or 12 weeks, as long as you attend a certain amount of time, uh, they get all the money, whether you continue the degree program or not. So uh, this, this has been a big problem. I've had a lot of listeners reach out to me about this. Uh, if you've got comments you want to share, the text line is 35353. Uh, and uh, or again, if someone has that that student loan note, I want to take a look at it. I'm going to meet with my attorneys. I'm going to see if we can't put together uh, a guide or uh, some help or some kind of document or roadmap uh, to help people who may be affected by this fight back uh, to where if you have a student loan uh, with a college who broke state law, who committed fraud, who falsified records, which I mean, from the from the research I did years ago, I, it looks like it's going to be a lot of them. Uh, you know, the other the other interesting thing, Rob, is there, there's some other language in here, which very much reminds me of mortgage. Uh, and that is there's questions about whether or not your signature may have been forged on a promissory note. Uh, you know, that's one of the big foreclosure defense uh, techniques that company you know, that, that lawyers use when it comes to mortgages. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, so it's going to be very interesting to see how this all plays out and, and how this happens. But we're going to be at the front lines of this. We're going to make sure our listeners are aware of this because I'm sure a lot of them are affected. And uh, right here, I, I pulled this off of the, uh, the the student aid or one of the federal government websites for student loans. And it says that you may be eligible for a discharge of your direct loan or FFEL program, FEL program loan in these circumstances. Your school falsely certified your eligibility to receive the loan based on your ability to benefit from its training, right? So the idea here is that if they lied about placement rates and if they lied about the earnings potential you would have after receiving the degree, because these are required for calculating eligibility for these loans, if they falsely certified your eligibility because they falsified those placement rates and those job rates and those potential incomes, uh, then you may be able to, uh, and because of that, you would not have been able to get the student loan, right? You know, if at the end of the day they told the truth and said, well, nobody actually graduates and nobody gets a better job, uh, you would have been ineligible for the student loan. And so that's one clause you can use uh, in order to uh, possibly get your loan discharged. Uh, another is that the school signed your name on the application or promissory note without your authorization, or the school endorsed your loan check or signed your authorization for electronic funds transfer without your knowledge, unless the proceeds of the loan were delivered to you or applied to charges owed based uh, charges owed by you to the school. So the big one here is if they if they forged your signature on the application or the promissory note, I I will almost guarantee you there's some of that going on because uh, you know forging signatures on applications was rampant in the mortgage business, uh, and a lot of these same same players went over to student loan. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that's definitely something when I, I talk to the attorneys, we're going to take a look at it and see. And then uh, the other is that your loan was falsely certified because you were a victim of identity theft. That's probably not going to apply to a lot of people. Uh, and then the school certified your eligibility, but because of physical or mental condition, age, criminal record, or other reason, you were disqualified from employment in the occupation in which you were being trained. So th- this probably applies to some people. You know, the, yeah. the, the, these these for-profit colleges uh, were using no discretion. Uh, and so if the particular field that you were being trained in has a requirement uh, regarding criminal record, requiring physical or mental condition, requiring age, and you didn't meet that, uh, then again, this may be a way for you to challenge that student loan and get it discharged. Uh, so right now, the only way to do this is to get an attorney and actually sue. Uh, but they're, the, the Department of Education is trying to change that. They're trying to put together a streamlined program because so many people have been affected. They recognize that they dropped the ball on this. They recognize that a lot of people uh, have been taken advantage of and have been harmed by some by certain for-profit colleges. And, uh, and now it's time to clean up the mess. And, and as always, the big mess is going to cause taxpayers a lot of money. Uh, I think you know the only kind of shining light I see in this is it's going to take some, uh, it's going to finally take the mortgage industry out of the spotlight, which we've uh, we've paid our penance and, and cleaned up our act as an industry. And uh, and and this should you know this should really get people looking where the current problem is, and the current problem is with student loans. Well, if you just tuned in, we're saving thousands with Robert Palmer. Robert Palmer coming on to give you those financial tools to give you kind of a a GPS, if you will, that has to do with money. You jump in your car, you're going to a place where maybe you've never been before, you know, like financial empowerment, you want to get there. 
So you'd put that in your GPS. Well, you can kind of do that with this show and with our websites, because if your destination is financial empowerment, Robert Palmer will give you the guidelines, just like your GPS in your car will give you the directions. It's as simple as that. And these are very easy to follow rules. They're very easy to follow guidelines and you are going to get there. And you're going to find out that after just listening a few days and after just visiting the website just a few times, that all of a sudden you've got new knowledge. All of a sudden you've got new control and you're saying, I don't know why it was so hard for me before. And again, we're not dealing with big high tuned algebra or weird geometry or anything else. We're dealing with money. All right. And simply being more careful with our money. Robert doesn't come on the air and tell you not to spend money, but he gives you some guidelines to make it so that every dollar you spend is a dollar well spent. No buyer's remorse, good product, good warranties, whatever it is, Robert gives you that all the way up to buying that home, all the way up to a mortgage and a refi. It's really a cool set of instructions, fun to listen to, easy to understand, and backed up by websites where you can refer from the radio show right to the websites. And we'll talk more about those websites coming up. But let's look in our wallets, Robert. Everybody in their wallet or purse is carrying around, I don't know, three or four credit cards, driver's license, that sort of thing. But there's one of those cards that you're not really, really happy about. You want to talk about it? So I'm not going to I'm not going to tell you not to use a debit card. I will tell you that I personally do not carry a debit card. Uh, I went through a lot of hoops with my bank to get them to issue me a good old-fashioned ATM card that cannot be used as a check card. It, it only is an ATM card, only with the PIN number. Uh, and the reason is if, if someone steals that credit debit card thing, uh, they can run it without the PIN number, and the money comes out of your checking account instantly. And the fraud protections aren't the same. Right? Now, some banks will offer the fraud protections for extra money, but as far as the federal laws go, on a credit card, your maximum liability is $50, all right, no matter when you report it. Uh, on a debit card, it's $50 if you report it in the first 48 hours, and then it jumps up to $500. And then after that, I think after 60 days, it goes to there is no protection. Uh, but the bigger problem is when somebody steals your debit card and, and that money is now out of your account, what's going to happen? You know, my, my now wife, on one of our first dates, her purse was stolen. Uh, I didn't steal it, you know, thank God. Uh, no, somebody <laughs> stole her purse. And, uh, they, you know, they went, and, and within like 30 minutes, they had they had run this thing up at every gas station in Central Florida because trust me, they have a plan. Like nobody's just like, oh, there's a purse. Let me grab it. Like they've got a plan in place. Like we're going to snatch this purse and we're going to hit these 27 gas stations that don't ask for the zip code. Or we're going to look and see what the zip code is on our driver's license because we have that too. And so we're going to type that zip code in on the debit card. See, that's the thing. A lot of people think, oh, well, the, the gas stations, they want your credit card zip code now. Well, how many of you have that on your driver's license? Yeah. Your ATM PIN number is not on your driver's license, I hope. If your ATM PIN number is written on your driver's license, please do something about that. But yeah, so they have your zip code right there on your driver's license and they got your debit card and they will now go systematically drain your bank account. And in her case, uh, her rent check bounced because of this, because you know she had enough money for her rent. But when they cleaned her oh. out at two or three thousand uh, dollars in the course of two hours and now her rent check bounced. What, what are you going to do now? You know, your landlord, you're trying to tell them the story. They just think you're a deadbeat. Yeah, they don't want to hear it. Sure. And you're fighting with the bank to try to get the money put back. It takes about 10 days at minimum to get that money put back in your account. And how many $35 charges are you racking oh, yeah. up then on bounce check? Killing you with the overdraft fees, <laughs> where if that same scenario had happened and she had not had a debit card, if she only had credit cards, they could have stolen the same $3,000 on the credit card. But the difference is her money was not in, would not have been in jeopardy. Her rent check would not have bounced. There would have been no overdraft fees. You don't have to wait 10 days to get the money put back. You know, you don't owe the credit card payment. For about 40 days, usually, from the charge, depending on when your statement drops and the grace period. So that's plenty of time for you to work this out with the credit card company, where with that debit card, the money is gone. And you may not be able to eat, right? I mean, you're calling your parents like, hey, mom, I need to borrow 20 bucks to eat because some idiot stole my check card or debit card and cleaned me out. And the bank's not going to give me my money back for 10 days. And, uh, and I can't eat. And I need to eat. So can I come over for dinner, mom? And she's like, come on over, son. You're always welcome home for dinner, right? Go. I slept on over to Lakeland and have a free dinner with mom. Um, but this is so de debit cards are dangerous. I am personally am not a big fan of debit cards. I do not carry a debit card. I have a good old fashioned ATM automated teller machine card. It cannot be swiped and signed. It has to be pin numbered. It's got to have my pin number in there, right? And uh, and it's tough to get those because the banks make more money on the the debit card. They like the swiping. Yeah, they get you know? they get what one percent, two percent. Yeah, they get these interchange fees. There's all these. It's complicated for them. They get yeah. all these fees and swipe charges, and it's one amount if they swipe another amount for the pin number and whatever. 
Uh, the other key is you don't, you know, they the money goes out imi- immediately. Oh, right then. So when you use a oh. credit card, the money doesn't actually, you don't have to actually pay that for like 40 or 50 days, which means that if you are smart, there's ways you can maximize that float on that money by paying less interest or earning interest in an investment. Uh, with a debit card, you don't get that. It just comes right out. So uh, rule number 10, we're going to call it debit cards are dangerous. Uh, and so, I, I, again, I think this goes back to uh, don't be afraid of credit. There's absolutely nothing wrong. I think everybody, everyone out there listening should have a credit card. There is no reason to not have a credit card. And now don't go crazy and abuse it and don't think this is free money and you can go run the thing up and whatever. You know, no. Uh, it's 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 got to be treated with respect. You know, the you've got to use it wisely, but you got to have one. I mean, I, I think it's much smarter to carry a credit card and pay it off every month than it is to use a debit card or a check card where you're giving the world direct access to your bank account, which can destroy other parts of your finances. Mm-hmm. Folks, if you're just tuning in, you're saving thousands with Robert Palmer. And Robert Palmer is the consumer empowering voice, taking you from being a financial zombie, as it were, to becoming a financial ninja. That's right. You're going to be right in charge of your money. And I've been talking along the way that Robert gives you the tools. Well, part of those tools is the radio show, right? Well, you're there, so you've got that much accomplished. But we also want you to visit savingthousands.com. Savingthousands.com is a great, great tool. Savingthousands.com is a website that costs you nothing. There's no ads on it. No one's trying to sell you anything. It's all about giving you more tools. It's all about expanding upon the radio show and giving you a place on the internet that you can visit as many times as you want. And we want you to visit it at least daily because we update the information in that website daily. There's new stuff being added. There's radio shows that we have done in the past that are being archived. This very radio show will be added right after you listen to it. And there's a lot of great information. Let's go right to the top and go across the sections you can go to first. At first, you can read the rules, the Saving Thousands Rules to Success. These are rules that Robert put together after years of meeting with people that wanted home loans with looking over credit reports and looking over applications. There's a lot of insight there that Robert has picked up over the years that means the difference between a 500 credit score and an 800 credit score. So the rules are based on helping you along the way so that you can build financial strength. Next to that, radio shows. Those are past radio shows. Station listing, self-explanatory. The listings of what stations were on, what day and what time. And then there's the Ask Robert section. That's right, Ask Robert. Now, Robert, a lot of the questions we get are from people who want to know what caused the housing meltdown of 2008. People don't want to see that happen again, of course, nor do we. That's one of the reasons we're on the air here. But a lot of people wonder what factors entered into the meltdown and what's being done to make sure that doesn't happen in the future. And I guess in past conversations, you and I have talked an awful lot about down payments and what happened during the meltdown of housing. Uh, The other big thing, the other big kicker uh, was down payment, right? And and so during the pre-crisis, you could buy a home with no money out of pocket. (laughs) That's right. right? And and where this really impacted things uh, is, is when we get into what we call jumbo loans, right? So as we sit here today, if you want to buy a $420,000 house, maybe a $430,000 house, right? You can put 5% down, right? And, and you can finance $410,000. Uh, you can go all up to $417,000 as long as you have your 5% down. But that, that stops around a $430,000 house. Uh, as soon as you go to a $500,000 house, now you're looking at a down payment of more like $75,000, oh. okay? Because the, the lending rules are different when the loan amount is over 417000 So there's kind of this natural cap baked in right now where it's very difficult for a home to cross that price range, right? Because when, you're, when your house is priced at $430,000, $440,000, someone with only a twenty dollars or $30,000 down payment uh, can, can come buy that house. Once you cross that threshold, you've eliminated all those people, and now you have to have people who have like a seventy, eighty, or ninety thousand dollar down payment. That's a big difference, right? And, and so, because certain homes are being held there, uh, what happens is if, if you go out and if the really nice house is only four hundred and fifty thousand because they're four hundred forty thousand because they don't want to cross that threshold, then the house in the neighborhood that's just a little bit not quite as nice as that one can't really. Uh, you know, it, it can't be the same price because then everyone would buy the nicer house. Uh-huh. And so on the high end of the home price bucket, there is some constraint 
on how much appreciation we're going to see. Uh, back during the boom, you could buy a million-dollar house with no money out of pocket. Today, if you want to buy a million-dollar house, you're talking about a $200,000 down payment, right? So on a million-dollar house, the, the monthly payment is you know maybe 6000 a month. And there's a lot of people out there that say, oh, I could afford a $6,000 a month mortgage payment. I'll go buy a million-dollar house. But then they realize they have to make a $200,000 down payment, right? Which is like three years of the monthly payment. So now they're going to have to take that 6000 a month and save it for three years before they can go buy that million-dollar house, which is probably the way it should be, right, in all honesty. But that's the world we find ourselves in today. So all of these protections, the protections from regulators, the protections from the new laws, uh, the things they passed to plug the holes that the mortgage industry used to give people artificially lowered payments have been plugged, and that is what is going to protect us from another housing crash. And and Wall Street sees this. The, 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 rental, the guys buying all these rental properties see this. The guys investing in these rental bonds we talk about, they all see this. But unfortunately, the, the average American consumer does not, right? Because why? Because they're not educated when it comes to, to all things finance. And I'm going to throw home buying into to finance and financial uh, because most of us finance homes. Very few, very few first-time home buyers are out there paying cash. That's right. I, and so the, the people who absolutely need the most education and need to understand this don't have it. Uh, and so they're renting and they're scared to buy or they think they can't buy. And we're going to talk about that next, Rob, why, why people have this fear that they, they can't buy houses or why they have this fear that they're going to be denied for the mortgage or they're not going to be able to buy the house and they only want to try. And, uh, and that's, that's really where we stand. So my advice to you, and the, the reason we brought up this whole article uh, is, is, one, to explain the fact that there's not going to be a, a big crash in home values because the rental guys, the, the, the big hedge funds who bought a bunch of property are going to sell it because they're not. They've actually put themselves in a position where they can't sell now because they've already got their profit for the next five years worth of rental income. So they're, they're good. They're happy. If anything, they're going to take some of that money they just got and they're going to buy more houses, which will put some more pressure on home prices, Right. Uh, the other interesting thing we, we, we see, Rob, is new construction. So builders actually started building bigger houses when yes. the crash happened because they didn't want to sell as many houses. And so they went the opposite route. And they said, well, instead of messing with all those people who are going to put you know, five or 10000 down, let's just go build mansions and we'll steal the, the buyer who does have the 200000 down away from the resale and get them to come buy our new construction house. And so the gap between new construction and existing homes uh, nationally, it is one of the largest it's been ever. It's huge. There's a huge gap right now. Mm. Uh, and, and so we, I think we really, a couple things our economy needs is one, we need people to, we need builders to start building some smaller houses because now they should be able to make some profit on smaller houses because values are up high enough in that range. Uh, and then we need more people buying, right? We need more people out there. Uh, and this is what's going to help GDP. This is what's going to help bring the economy back. This is what's going to help continue to move everything forward. And, and so it, what I want people to understand there's all this misinformation and there's all this, oh, it's too hard to buy a house. It's too hard to qualify. And, and let me tell you, it's just not true. Folks, as Robert said, it's not hard to buy a house. Matter of fact, if you've got a mortgage company that's working for you, one that you can trust, one that's very well thought of in the real estate and the mortgage industry, well, once you find that company, then it's really easy to buy a home because you've got a company that is working for you, that's working with you, not a company that's trying to pass along a, a lot of crazy junk fees and, and take you for a ride. So one of those companies is RP Funding. It belongs to Robert. He created the company 10 years ago. And you can always have a no-obligation conversation. That's what's so cool. As I told you, we've got the radio show. We've got some websites I'll talk more about later. But we've also got people at the office who are highly trained. And basically, part of their job is to have conversations with callers and answer questions without twisting your arm, without having you jump in for a deal. That's right. It sounds a little crazy, but that's part of the way that we do business right here at the Robert Palmer family of companies. It's all about helping people. So part of that is picking up the phone. And if you want to know about the home buying process or the application process or any of that, you simply give us a call. It's real easy. 855-773-8634. 855-773-8634. Eight six three four. This company is all about what Robert's doing on the air. It's all about passing along to you the information so that you can be empowered and you can be empowered without any obligation. We're not asking you to buy anything. We just simply want you to know these things. It's part of Robert Palmer paying it forward. That's right, giving back to his community. And we're very, very happy to be here. Let me tell you that right now. 
Well, Robert, around the office, there's some talk that maybe you've got your innovative eyes and your innovative vision turned toward another segment of our economy. What's up? So speaking of businesses and, you know, obviously, you know, I've had a lot of success, uh, you know, grew up with a lot, a lot, you know, worked hard, did what was right for consumers. I built some pretty successful businesses. Right. Uh, the, The next industry I am targeting to personally revolutionize is going to be insurance. You know, I heard a rumble around the office about that the other day, but there was nothing more than just a rumble. So look what you've done in the mortgage industry in eight eight short years. Kind of the talk of the town and the talk of the industry. So insurance. Insurance. Wow. That's the next. So when when I look at industries that have the biggest kind of gap between doing what I think they should be doing and, and the reality of how they're run. Uh, I think insurance is a big one. So I've, I've talked to, I've had a couple conversations with the, the Department of Insurance. I've, I've talked to our lobbying firm to understand uh, what goes into opening an insurance company, not an, not an agency, right? I'm not, I'm not talking right. about an insurance broker. I'm talking about an insurer, right? Like Geico, State Farm, wow. like where we're, RP something, RP insurance or Palmer insurance, whatever I decide to call it, uh, would actually insure your house or your car, right? And, and so- I've got the capital, you know, I've kind of figured out the, the strategy. And so I, I feel like I'm trying to figure out how I want to get into this game, right? So do I, do I want to go buy a bunch of little insurance agencies all over Florida and then band them together, change the practices, change the culture, you know, change the business model, and then, you know, blossom into the insurer? Do I just open the insurer from scratch? Do I partner with the, because the big thing is I got to be able to put my fingerprints on it, right? Like I'm not just looking to buy insurance companies and let them continue on business as usual, right? Like I'm going to buy an insurance company and I'm going to redesign their processes and culture from the ground up to meet the way I want to do business, right? And I'm going to have everyone tell me, that's it's not going to work, Robert, you can't do it that way. We've never done it that way. What do you mean? You know, I'm going to hear, I'm fine with all that. I'm going to repeat of eight years ago. Exactly. It's it's, 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 it's a song of my life. Yeah, it's fine. And so all the naysayers are going to tell me how I'm crazy. And then all the other insurance companies are going to talk about how I'm going to fail. Like it's fine. It's I'm used to it. The first time around, it was tougher. This time around, it's going to be a lot easier. And so that's what I'm looking to get into. So again, I'm trying to figure out, uh, you know, so do I, do I, what do you think, Rob? Do I, do I buy existing insurance companies or buy into existing insurance Uh, companies? Do I start from scratch? I guess it would depend on. You know, finding that right insurance company that I could buy that wants to, that wants to, con- that wants to be converted over to my business philosophy. If you right? could find somebody of like mind, the way you found a couple of the executives that are running the the mortgage business, so to speak, right now. And I mean, I love these people because they're teaching me a lot on the days when I can't meet with you. They're teaching me. If you found people that were like minded. Like in a recent uh, company organization meeting we had, everybody had already answered the questions the way you knew they'd answer right. them. Now, that's pretty cool. But I'm afraid that you did it so right with the mortgage industry. You started very small and built up doing it your way with everybody criticizing you. But even then, they were spreading your name. Right. You know, even right. then they're right. saying, right. who is this guy? The guy's crazy. What's he doing? And it's a very successful business. I like the Robert Palmer stamp. Yep. On anything. If you open an applesauce company, I'd want to see your <laughs> picture on the applesauce can. You know what I'm saying? Because you could revolutionize that business. And you talk about something where the consumer's mad. Oh, yeah. They're mad at these insurance companies. Yeah. And so my part of my plan would be to, one, make it easier to shop around. Right. You know, very make nice. it very easy. So what kind of my thought is, so even, so I would have RP insurance, like, right, where I would be the insurer. Sure. But I would also shop you out to the others. Right. And, and if, if you can get a better deal at someone else, I, then I would broker your insurance there, right? If, if I'm the best yeah. deal. And, and I would do that every single year, right? So every year I would re, I would, I would force my staff to reshop all everyone's insurance every single year, right? To find the best deal for our consumers. And then I, I think I would, I would try to make it as easy as possible for people to uh, shop for insurance with us. Like as simple as sending a text to our text line, right? And then we uh-huh. can, you know, because I mean, again, I, I really harp on this. Rule number one, shop around. Uh, insurance is a place where we don't do it, right? Insurance, no. if we look at this, insurance uh, counts on you not shopping around. Insurance counts on the trick of auto pay, auto debit, to keep you from even looking at it, right? And so you have these people that, oh, I've had the same insurance company for 20 years and they've raised my rates every single year and I've every never year. done anything about it. And so this is what I want to fix. And so what I believe is that if, if I do roll out a better solution for insurance to the entire Saving Thousands radio network, right? We're talking about 70 plus stations, uh, depending on, so this is crazy, Rob. So I've, I've been asking the stations to give me an idea of how many people are listening. And, and, and depending on the week and the temperature, whatever else, it's between half a million and a million people 
a week uh, that are hearing my voice on the radio, mm-hmm. which is a substantial crowd. And so what I believe is that if I if I give that half a million to a million people a way, an easier way to shop and get a cheaper insurance, right? Quality insurance, but at a lower price because we're going to cut out a lot of the same garbage I cut out in the other industries I've revolutionized. Uh, that, that will be very successful. And that the consumers will save money. And then I can, once you're in with me, I can force you to shop around every year. I would just do it for you. Rule right. number 14. That's it. Just every year we're going to shop for you. So when you when you had your insurance with us, we would just automatically every year reshop it and and reach out to you and say, hey, so you're currently with you know with the RP insurance brand. If we switch you over to Allstate, you could save blah blah blah. Do you want to switch? Do you want to stay? What do you think? Let's talk about it. And so basically force people to to reshop every single year. And so as I, as I go down this route, I guess let's say this: if there's somebody out there listening that owns an insurance company. Right. Hmm. They may want to sell or let me buy in or likes kind of where I'm going with this. Why don't you send a text to three, five, three, five, three. That's our text line here. Sure. Three, five, three, five, three. Right. So if you own an insurance company, work for an insurance company, if you kind of like what I'm talking about here, uh, let me know. Three, five, three, five, three. Shoot me a text because I this is I'm getting into this industry, you know, ultimately as an insurer. I'll probably get in as an agent uh, so I can start building up the the policy banks and everything before we we launch the actual insurer uh, here in Florida. Uh, but this is this is the next industry I'm going to revolutionize, mm-hmm. uh, and it's going to be big, and I'm going to save people a ton of money, just like I've saved people a ton of money in every other business I've gotten into, and just like I save people a ton of money right here on the radio each and every day. And uh, and, and the business is going to be built. My my insurance business will be built to mirror the rules. We're going to force oh, you to shop good. around. We're going to force you to know your numbers, right? We're going to to force you to do all these things that are built into the rules. Uh, because that that's what I believe makes good business. Mm-hmm. If if any business that would take my rules for consumers and use it as a roadmap to build their business would be more successful. There could be somebody out there right now that's an executive with an insurance company that doesn't like the way they're running it. That says, I could do it better if I just had the chance. If they could text you at 35353, you would give them a meeting. 35353 is the text. And just, you know, do you agree that the insurance industry is not doing its job? You know, the, the little agent on the street corner, are they going through everything they're supposed to be doing for the consumer? See, and the problem is that the, the, I don't blame the agent because the deck is stacked yeah, against the agent. It is, you totally. know, the, the big insurers have these agents under their thumb, right? And Amen. and when you look at, at what the agent makes, you know, so the agent's trying to run an entire business on like 10 to 12% of the, you know, of, of the, the policy. True. And they've got to have their own office space. There's all this duplication. Again, it's a lot like the mortgage broker to mortgage lender. I mean, there's a lot of parallels between the mortgage industry and the insurance industry. Uh, the little agents are doing the best they can, mm-hmm. but the deck is stacked against them in a lot of ways. Uh, they don't have the volume, the scale, you know, that you can do different things when, you, when you're statewide and you have tens or hundreds of thousands of policies, you know, or millions of policies yeah. than if you have a couple thousand policies and, and those, those economies of scale. But then you've got the big insurance companies who just are greedy, right? You know, and then they, they're, they're not going to, I mean, they're never going to encourage anybody to shop around. I mean, that, no that, that's where their profits come from. But I honestly believe, Rob, I, I've, I've looked at this business long and hard. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I'm not a, a jump in there kind of guy, nope. you know, and, and I've looked at it long and hard and I do believe it can be done differently. I do believe it can be done better. And that is my next mission in life. That's the next industry that I'm going to revolutionize. And so, uh, you know, phase one is probably to go and buy into or buy some insurance agents and band them together and put my resources behind them to, to phase one of trying to take this thing in the right direction. Uh, and then uh, over time, uh, turn it into exactly what my vision is, mm-hmm. you know, which, which again, is everything I talk about here on the radio basically being done for you by an insurance company, the same way we do it in the other businesses that, that I control. So, uh, that's it. Three five three five three. That's the text line. If if you're in the insurance business, if you own an insurance company, shoot me a text. Uh, you know, and uh, let's talk. Three five three five three. This is uh, this is my next uh, my next way to to follow rule number uh, thirteen. There. Well, it kind of sounds good. RP Insurance. I can see it now. <laughs> oh, it sounds good. Robert Palmer has been so innovative over the years that he's really made a lot of changes in a lot of industries. He's made tremendous changes in the mortgage industry. And he's also on the board of the Better Business Bureau. So he's helping out there. He helps a lot of the nonprofit organizations and helps an awful lot of charities. So Robert is all about helping, giving back, getting involved. And I can just see you in insurance. That would be something. I wish you'd get into it because right now, you know, insurance is one of those things that people hate to pay. It's one of those necessities, but maybe we can make it easier and better service because everything you've ever touched, Robert, Turns out better than it was when you got a hold of it. I'll tell you that right now. Hey, wanted to talk a little bit more 
about the website, savingthousands.com. Now, folks, remember, you do have to write out the word thousands or type it out, as it were, because it's savingthousands.com. Now, as I was talking about some of the portals that you have right across the top of the page, one of those is called Home Value Hotline. Now, when you click on that, there'll be a form. And if you fill out that form, well, Robert's going to tell you what happens. Robert, what about this Home Value Hotline? Yeah, let's talk about the home value hotline, Rob. I mean, that, that's a good thing to bring up. So, you know, obviously mortgage is a big part of this. And, and I would say that mortgages are the best leverage piece. You know, if I go back and look at my kind of credit history where you can pick up small victories, you know, you pick up how many times am I going to get married once, mm-hmm. right? So the, the the ability to to get an engagement ring on credit and invest the money in the market uh, and make money, that's not, you can't do that over and over again, right? Right. And usually they're smaller ticket items. Usually, you know, when you get a, a 0% interest rate card, it's five or $10,000. There's an opportunity there to pull some arbitrage, but really the, the big win is on the mortgage, you know, and, and being able to leverage your mortgage to truly accomplish your goals. And and so one of the things that, that I want people to figure out, and that we're going to teach them how to do over the course of these shows is to kind of figure out what their blended interest rate is, right? Like what do you, what's kind of your interest rate? If you take all of your, all of your debts, and we load them into a, uh-huh. a little formula and we figure out kind of what your blended interest rate is, like what you're paying. And that's like your pulse. I mean, that, that's how healthy you are. You know, if, if you've got, if that number is in the 15s and 20s, you've got a serious problem. Big time. If that number is in the threes, fours, fives, you're doing really, really good. Right. And so to look at this number and then understand that the biggest ticket on there is your mortgage, you know. And so knowing how to appropriately use the mortgage uh, is key. And when people come in and say, well, you know, we're going to pay cash for a house. Well, why would you do that? Why would you not borrow money as cheap as it is and take the arbitrage? Because at some point, interest rates will be higher than they are today, and you'll be able to take advantage of that difference. Rates will, uh, not rates, rents will continue to go up. Rates are going to go up too, but rents will go up. And if you've locked in today's payment, as other people's rents are going up, going up, going up, uh, you don't have, you know, you've got that money, you've got that money locked in. And so the, the key to this is the equity in your home, right? This is one of the big pieces that, that you can take advantage of. So if you're sitting there and, and one of the big pieces are if you currently have a lot of credit card debt or high interest rate debt, whether that's in the form of, of student loans that weren't made under favorable terms, if it's credit cards, whatever it is, if you've got debt that's under unfavorable terms and, and is above this kind of benchmark of where interest rates should be, uh, re- paying that off is key. And so there's a couple ways to pay it off. Uh, one, you can just pull the money out of your budget, right? So, hey, dear, we're not going to eat out as much. We're going to, you know, I'm going to buy cheaper gas for the car. We're going to carpool. We're going to do whatever. We're going to not take the toll road. We're going to take money out of other places, and we're going to use it to try to pay these debts off sooner. Uh, another way is is to tap the equity in your home through a mortgage and use that money to now take a 29% interest rate credit card and wrap it into a mortgage in the threes or fours. And then on top of that, the mortgage interest is tax deductible. And so you get another 20 to 30% discount depending on what tax bracket you're in. And, and these are the types of strong financial arbitrage you have to make. So there's two key parts to that. One is you have to know, do I have any equity in my home? How much equity do I have in my home? And that's where the home value hotline comes in. Uh, because as we look, as, as, we, as a smart consumer, as an empowered consumer, we have to understand all the players. We have to understand all the pieces, right? Rob, imagine if you sat down to play chess and you didn't know what the pieces did. Right. I mean, so so I'm, I'm playing chess against you and you know what the pieces do. And I don't I have I have no chance of winning. I mean, the, the deck is stacked against me. Checkmate. It's not you don't have to be a good chess player. It's simply that you understand the rules and I don't. Mm-hmm. And so as a consumer, when we sit down and look at our financial situation and we try to make good decisions and we try to plan things out, we have to know what the pieces do. We have to know the rules to the game. One of those rules, one of those pieces is understanding the value of the largest asset in your life, which is your home. So if you own a home, that's a piece you have on the board. That's a piece you have in the game. And if you don't know what that home is worth, if you don't know what the home's worth in today's market, you don't know what the home's worth since the market shot up and the market crashed and the market recovered and housing's been all over the place. And if you don't know what that home is worth, then you don't understand all the pieces on the board. And so a lot of people were using these online free estimating services to tell, you know, to try to figure out what their home is worth. And they just don't work. They're not accurate by their own admission. They're not accurate. And so that's where I came out with the home value hotline. And so the purpose of the home value hotline is for everyday regular people. You know, see, if I want to know what my house is worth, Rob, I pick up the phone and call one of the thousands of real estate agents that I do business with. And I say, hey, can you tell me how much this house is worth? That's the best one. Right. You know, I've got, a, I've got a beach house up in the Jacksonville area. If I want to know what it's worth, I call one of my great agents up in Jacksonville and say, hey, can you run a, can you run a home valuation for me on this house? Mm-hmm. You know, or I've got a bunch of rental properties over in Polk County and I call one of my great agents in Polk County and say, hey, can you guys tell me what your home is worth? 
the average consumer doesn't have access to that, right? They don't have that type of relationship. And so in order to level the playing field and give our consumers, give our listeners, give the average person out there listening to me right now on the radio access to the same types of resources that I have to know what pieces are on the board and what those pieces do, I created the Home Value Hotline. And that now gives you the power to do the same thing I do. You call the Home Value Hotline, and that same group of agents that I would have called personally to find out what one of my houses is worth is now going to tell you what your house is worth, okay? And that's what the Home Value Hotline is all about. That's why I built it. Trust me. I don't go look on Zillow. I don't go look on eValues. I don't go look on 123homevalue.net to find out what my house is worth. I call one of these agents. And now through the Home Value Hotline, you have the ability to do the same thing. It's all about me taking the resources I've figured out, the tools I've figured out, and sharing them with you. So if you're listening right now and, and you're trying to figure out your game, you're trying to figure out the best financial moves you can make. Maybe you've got some credit card debt. Maybe you don't. Maybe you want to sell your home. Maybe you want to upgrade. You want to downgrade. You know, if you've got too much house, guess what? A great financial decision is to downsize. If you need more house, the sooner you do it, the better, because you can get in at lower rates and you can get in at lower prices. Homes will continue to appreciate. Mm -hmm. If even just at the, the inflation rate, home values, home costs will be more in 10 years than they are today. So if you think you may need a bigger home in the next five to 10 years, the time to act is now to maybe sell that home, to look at buying that next home. All of these decisions can only be made by understanding what your home is worth in today's market. So to find out that number, to find out the time is right to sell, if the time is right to buy, if the time is right to refinance, if the time is right to cash out, all of these things that you need to know as an empowered consumer to play the game requires a home valuation. And that's where the Home Value Hotline comes in. Rob, give them the number, tell them what they do. And now when you call this, it, it's not a live person. No one's going to try to sell you anything when you call in. You know, we're gonna. It's a recorded message of my voice. And I'm going to say, hey, you've reached Robert Palmer's Home Value Hotline. You know, leave me the property address of the house and your name and phone number and email, and we'll get you your home valuation in 48 hours. And then what happens is we then send that out to one of the same agents that I would call if I wanted my own personal home valued, and we have them call you. And they call you, and they go over the, the value with you. And they walk you through it, and they don't just say, 128, click. Right? <laughs> right? I mean, that, that's what the online system does, right? You're like, that's what's right. my homework? 128, click. And, you know, they're not just going to hang up on you after they give you the number because you can be like, well, hey, uh, why is it worth that? What, what can I do to maybe increase that? Hey, uh, if I did want to sell right now, what, what's the market look like? How long would it be on the market? What kind of cost could I expect to pay? All these different things, all these questions can be answered by the live human being expert who calls you back that the server farm, the online ehomevalue.net can't tell you. And you can do that by calling the Home Value Hotline right now. Leave a message uh, on that recorded line. This is the most low-tech piece of equipment out there, and we are doing battle with with uh, billions of dollars worth of servers in California. <laughs> uh, so tell them how they reach the Home Value Hotline, Rob. All right. It's 866. That's toll-free from anywhere. The Home Value Hotline. No obligation. 866-NO-COST-222-8231. 866-222-8231. And, Robert, I'm not sure where you found that old answering machine that's over there on your desk that takes these calls. But I'm telling you, I had to replace the tape the other day. eBay, yeah. So Amy bought it on eBay, and and so initially we used like a initially we used a really like well not high tech, but we used like today's voicemail box things. And I decided that we needed to downgrade, and we needed to use the the least high tech, we the lowest tech technology. And so we went on eBay, and we found this old dual cassette uh, answering machine recorder thing, and that that's what's now giving the most accurate home access to the most accurate home valuation. Uh, in all of Florida through the Home Value Hotline. But it works. It, wor it works. It works because it's got a human being behind it. You mm -hmm. know, the person who calls you back is the same expert I would have called to find out what my house is worth. That's powerful. He could have sold the house right down the block, so he knows your neighborhood to where the big algorithms machine in California or wherever does not know that. 866-222-8231. It doesn't know the school district, Robert. It doesn't know That's where it. the beltway's going. It has no idea what's happening in that quadrant of Tampa, Orlando, Melbourne, wherever we are today. Yeah, I would tell you, if you think you're going to sell your home anytime in the next 18 months, call the Home Value Hotline right now. Find out what your home is worth. Have a great conversation with a real estate agent with no obligation and no pressure to find out maybe things you can do to increase your value, improve your value, to prepare to sell. I feel like a lot of us know, hey, in the next 18 months, we may have to move. Little Johnny's going to be a little older. We got to be in a different school district or the kids are graduating from high school. They're going off to college. We can downsize. So I would say, you know, we talked about I built the home value hotline. Uh, to help you understand the pieces on the board. But the other piece of that is if you know you're going to be selling your home, if you know it's going to be time to upsize, downsize, sell, relocate, whatever it is in the next 18 months, call the Home Value Hotline right now. 
figure out what the homes were, start tracking the trends, start understanding the forces in your neighborhood that affect home valuations, understand how selling during one time of year versus another time of year can affect your value. And you can have these conversations. You can understand all these things by picking up the phone right now, calling the 24-hour recorded home value hotline and letting me put you in touch with a local real estate expert who's going to give you that free home valuation and access to all the information you need to be a smarter, more prepared consumer when you go to sell that home over the next 18 months or when you go to refinance your home or go to do anything else related to real estate or home ownership. You live finance. Does it amaze you that at any given time, any person on the street can tell you how much money they've got in their wallet or purse, how much money is in the seat cushion, how much they owe on their credit cards, how much their car may be worth, but they have no idea what their home is worth? They probably haven't checked it since before the crash. Well, or worse, Rob, they think they know what their home is worth, and they're they're using wrong information. I mean, that's... Mm-hmm. So again, you know, when you go to some of these sites, the in like a 100-point font, they give you the number, 128. And then if you look down at the very bottom in like a two-point font, it's like, this number is wrong two-thirds of the time. I mean, it's, it's insane. And so people are working off of wrong information. So you've got people that just don't know, and they should call and find out. Mm-hmm. Then you've got people who've got wrong information, which is even worse. Because, I mean, they, back to our chess analogy, now you're playing chess, and I think the pawn can, can dominate the game, and, and it's almost worthless. <laughs> you know, wrong information. I mean, not, not only not knowing the rules, but being fed wrong rules which is what these online websites are doing to us when it comes to home valuations, is stacking the deck against you. I mean, if we're playing poker and, and you know, I think that, that one pair beats everything. And so I throw away my full house or I throw away my flush because I'm trying to make one pair because I think that's what beats everything because I'm dealing with wrong rules, wrong information. It's the same thing as not of thinking you know what your home is worth and not. And if you're assuming, if you're guessing, if you're, oh, the house over there sold for this or Zillow tells me it's that, don't. It's simple. It's easy. It's free. Pick up the phone and call the Home Value Hotline. And again, that number is 866-222-8231. 866-222-8231. One more time, really slow. 866-222-8231. Or as we began the conversation, you can simply go to savingthousands.com and in the upper right-hand corner, just click on Home Value Hotline. All the information is 100% confidential. We're not going to leak it out to a whole bunch of people in the industry. It's between you and the home value hotline representative. But again, as Robert said, it's local folks. It's the people that are most familiar with the real estate in your neighborhood. The people who've set the prices, they're the ones that are providing you the information without obligation, the home value hotline. So let's review. We got the radio show that you can listen to. Also, this radio show is carried on the Saving Thousands radio app. (laughs) Download that on your phone. Saving Thousands radio is where you'll find it in your Play Store. Okay? Now, in addition to that, you ever visit iHeartRadio? Well, one of the channels on iHeartRadio happens to be the Robert Palmer channel. Just to look it up, go to the search engine on iHeart and just put in the name Robert Palmer. So, you've got all that. You've got SavingThousands.com. You also have a website called a state of eyes. A state of eyes has been designed by younger people on our research staff that really want younger people, the people in the millennial generation, what have you, to get interested in real estate because that is the way that you start your financial portfolio. If you're renting, you're throwing money away. So a state of eyes has some great, great articles, very interesting reading, very fast paced, very up-to-date website. There's another one called The Real Prospector. And if you want to know the inner workings of real estate mortgages written by the people in those industries, you need to go to Real Prospector. Here's some great, great tools, all free as we save thousands with Robert Palmer. 